0: Hey gang, and welcome to the Faith, Recovery, and Music podcast, focused on all issues dealing with alcoholism, drug addiction, faith, and recovery. Here we share our stories, our experiences, struggles, and successes while walking in recovery with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But that's not all, because we'll also have some great guests, some great music, and we'll be joined by some wonderful musicians performing original and inspirational songs. Songs pertaining not only to God and faith, but also in regards to our journeys as we travel to and on the road of recovery. We'll answer questions, hit on some frequently asked subjects while sharing our faith, our strengths, our personal stories, along with massive doses of positive affirmation and inspiration, and of course, some good music to boot. My name is Timothy Price and I'm so happy to be your host. I've worked for the church for almost 20 years as a musician and as a praise and worship leader and I've played music professionally my entire adult life. And by the grace of the good Lord, I am 27 years clean and sober. I truly feel this is my calling, and I believe this ministry is God's plan for my life. I'm grateful to serve Him and hopefully help you on your own personal journeys through faith and recovery. I love it. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the February podcast Man, this we got a great one. I'm so excited. We have our good friend Todd with us today, and Todd is also known as Papa Bear and Papa Bear Preach. And um, man, he's got such a great story. He's a great musician, and he's a strong, mighty man of God. And I've really been fortunate over the last year to get to hang out with Todd and get to know him a little bit better. We've uh, actually done a uh got we've we've gotten together for a a few uh praise and worship concerts and uh, a conference here and there and it's just i'm just thrilled and and the more of his story i hear the more i'm amazed and again he is a solid man of god and i could probably take up the whole time telling you all of this but i think it's gonna be a lot better if i just give it over to todd
1: Hey guys, this is Papa Bear Preach, or Papa Bear, or Todd, and honestly I'm just honored to sit here with Tim. It's really been a wonderful thing just trying uh, to get to know him, and yeah, I, I am in recovery. I actually just passed my 12th year. Um, I have to be really honest right now, is, is that for the first decade of my recovery it was actually kind of a tooth and nail thing. Hmm where I, I just knew that I needed sobriety. And I wasn't particularly happy about it. I actually just knew that it was needed um, because the way that it had started was such an easy walk in mm. that I didn't realize it was destroying my entire life. Ooh. When I was a kid, I grew up in the 70s. I grew up in upper middle class you know, suburbia. I was actually adopted. Um, which is a long tale within itself. But I was adopted into a, a white, upper-middle-class family. Uh, my father was an engineer with a great job. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. And we were just a happy little family, and things were good. And we went to church and even were considered one of the astute church families mm-hmm. <clears throat> for, uh, for much of that time. Uh, little did I know that uh, my father has had issues with alcoholism. I did not see that as a child until later, because a lot of times I think you get into recovery and you go, well, I'm the only one. And then yeah. they start describing everything and you go, wait a minute. I remember having my first drink at a 4th of July party when my father went, hey, taste this. What do you think? And, and and I really remember that I must have been like four or five years old uh, because all my buddies were that way. And But it was the 70s. Everybody was social and cocktails and all of that stuff. Yep. And, and I remember it just becoming this, this is how we have a good time. You know, I remember being, this is the summer. We all do this. And then I remember one of my buddies who... Uh, Back then in the 70s, there was something about hoarding beer in garages. And I remember that one of my buddies could consistently score a 12-pack of Blatz from his dad's garage. (laughs) And we thought that it was just the most amazing, most wonderful thing because we could hide out in our tree fort and drink Blatz just like the big guys did. And so for much of my childhood, um, that was just how it went. We always went with a drink in hand. Actually, usually it was a cigarette in one hand and a drink in the other, having our fun times, doing everything that we did. And for me, it was a really easy thing because I was the good time drunk. I was the guy who loved to party and was always in a good mood and sure if fights broke out I would be the first one in but for the most part I just tried to keep the peace and wanted Mm. to have a good time and it was all about having that good time and it just continued and continued and... Now, when I was in the full throes of it, I had lied to myself to this point where I was this amazing father and this amazing family man and this amazing this and amazing that, and all the while being a good time party dude, you know, be it playing music, doing all kinds of fun things, riding my motorcycle. And it wasn't until I started getting sober that I realized all of that was just this beautiful pink alcohol fog where I was lying to myself and telling telling myself it was okay. Was I the good time party dude? Yes. Everything else had gone by the wayside for that good time party dude. You know, I, I pictured myself this fantastic father, and the reality is like I had a conversation with one of my kids. He says, uh... I remember them saying, hey dad, I don't want you to think any less of me but I'm in therapy. And I had had enough sobriety under my belt that at that time I said, if you have a father like I was, I would be amazed if you weren't in therapy. Because we had to have oh. these rigorous truths that in this alcohol and drug-induced fog that I had created, I had all of these dreams of grandeur of how amazing I was. And it oh. wasn't until I actually started being sober that I realized that most of them were dreams of grandeur. Was I a decent dad? Sure, for somebody who was partying his life away. Yeah. But there were a lot of missed times. There were a lot of missed places. There were a lot of these things. And and so honestly, the first 10 years of my sobriety was me coming to terms with that stuff. And it's not always pretty, and it's not always wonderful, and I didn't want to come on here and just be like a super downer, but the reality of it is for the first decade, it was a struggle. And it wasn't until that I started realizing that all of the promises that I had read about in all of these different recovery classes... had actually come true for me and the strangest part of that the culmination of that was when I married my wife and realized that everything that I thought I would never have again because of what I had done with my addiction I once again had and it was this reality of I remember I remember the day that I walked into AA I had had A great life, and then all of a sudden, honestly, I found Jesus. I found Jesus. I found the center of my being, and all of a sudden, my life started falling apart. Wow. And I didn't know what to do. Why? Because I had built so much stuff around my life, of my drinking, of my partying, of my living the way I wanted to live my life, that it had to be torn away so that I could see who I truly was. And is this when you first sobered up? This is all during the same culmination. Okay. Like I found okay. Jesus, went sober. Gotcha. Like, and actually, for any of you who are listening, and I realize that it's actually been a little more over 12 years, but I have been a pastor for 15 years and I've been sober for almost 13 years. Wow. So you can do the math on that <laughs> one. I had found Jesus and I was still like, well, I can go about doing my things. And as I progressed in this path, all of a sudden I started realizing wait a minute. That's really not Jesus right there. That's me wanting to be me. And the culmination of that was the realization that I had sacrificed my family to drugs and alcohol. Mm. That I had actually replaced Jesus and my family with drugs and alcohol. Mm. That I was using excuses oh. to do that. And as I got into that mode, let's just say it was a tough pill to swallow. You know, when I got sober, I was in the middle, th- I was, I was. 32 33 and so I had lived plenty of life and 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 even at that point I had people who were like you don't have a drinking problem you're always great around us (laughs) and I was like okay but you guys are always drunk too (laughs) (laughs) And, and and you don't see the aftermath of it you know where I come home and my kids are excited to see me and I just want to go to bed yeah You were out and playing live music and touring for a long time, weren't you? I've I've played a lot of live music in a lot of different places. Yeah, Um, I grew up in Burnsville. And one one thing that most people don't know or understand about the South Metro, um, it's always had this amazing music scene. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, from when I was young, I remember i remember wanting to be in a band then i remember us uh, starting our own band yeah. when we were like fourth grade i think and and the most terrible band you've probably ever heard but, tupperware drums oh pretty much <laughs> pretty much and like uh exo, exo uh, constructs type things yeah, uh to make guitars and stuff like that my first big- guitar was a folgers can with rubber bands yeah Just that type of stuff. And it it actually eventually developed into a point where we were doing a lot of different things with a lot of people. Um, At one point, they joked that we were the band that never made it. Um, Mm. Because we would always open for all of these different people. And we we got involved with a lot, a lot, a lot of music, like people that would recognize it. Sure. Uh, Some of our stuff got played on the radio. Um, Just things like that. Local radio. And there was some mild national stuff, but nothing really to speak of. In fact, when we had our big break, um, one of our guitarists overdosed. And at that time, uh, my son, I had actually recently uh, gotten custody of my son. And at that point I realized that it probably wasn't a place for a kid to grow up in. Yeah. And so that's when the path started changing. That's actually what changed everything, was all of a sudden I was the primary person for this little person that looked a lot like me. And one thing I want you guys to understand is, is that I, I talk about my kids. Um, I've been very fortunate where, where God has brought a lot of children into my life where I just kind of get to be a father figure to people who didn't have one. Um, I have one biological son, um, but quite a few kids and quite a few grandkids. That's awesome. And so it was my biological son, and I had full custody of him at that time. And it was really just trying to figure out the world and trying to be someone better that I knew I could be. But it was also that I had lived this entire life of, like, party time. Yeah. That whether it was chemicals or alcohol I mean the lifestyles that I lived in would included motorcycles fast women and music Yep. and that's what was purveyed to me I still remember some of the music videos of like hot for teacher and I can't drive 55 and girls 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 and all of this stuff where it really culminated what I thought it meant yeah to be an American male yeah we're very similar yeah and so I was all about it so when I got sober. It was this huge crisis of, like, everything that I know how to do, I can no longer do. I don't know if I can even call this living. Wow. I mean, and and I have to be honest, it was amazing to reconnect with my kids. It was amazing to reconnect with the people that I was in relationship with at the time. But I didn't know how to do it because it was such a foreign realm. Like, I remember like not just drinking, it was like smoking cigarettes and do whatever you have to do. I haven't smoked a cigarette for a while, but we looked in these pictures and literally every picture until I quit smoking, I wasn't without a cigarette. And it was the realization that it wasn't just cigarettes that was that way with me. You know, there's always a can of beer nearby. There's always Ah. a mixed drink nearby. And if you looked behind the mixed drink, there was probably a little mirror Right behind it And it was just this whole culture and culmination of like This is what we do, this is how we do it, this is why we do it And then running into the full face of Christ going You're better than
0: this Yeah, yeah I want to see all of you I like how you uh, phrase that I like how you pull it together about it being the culture And what a lot of, well, what, what we looked at as role models Yeah for uh, that period, and uh, who, yeah, just like you, right there. Yeah,
1: it was just, it was just these scales of this, and like, you know, I remember thinking, well, I don't want to follow the rules. Well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And it, and and I looked at it about this like conforming to this thing that I had always hated, instead of actually understanding that I didn't have to conform to that. God just wanted a clean head. You know, I remember when I first got sober, like, I cut my hair, I started, like, wearing different clothes, because I thought that there was a sobriety outfit. Yeah. You know, you, you move into the polo shirts and the dockers, and especially a sobriety pastor, <laughs> so then you got to have the, you know, boat shoes and all of that, and I remember, like, walking around and feeling like a duck wearing high heels, because <laughs> it was just, like, If this is sobriety, I mean, my head's clear and my kids are happy. And sure, I don't forget a lot of stuff, but I don't know if I really like this that much. Yeah, that's not you at all. And then I had this moment where I suddenly realized that I didn't have to conform to who I was. I just had a
0: clear head to try and figure out who God had made me to be. Yeah, you know, that's a great point that you bring that up because I think I think a lot of people, newcomers and people who are new to any kind of recovery, I think there's a lot of that where uh, people think that it's going to make them something entirely what they're not and they're going to have to live their life as something they don't want to be. And I think that's a misconception because you know, a lot of us go through that, you know, just trying to, because I know when I cleaned up, a lot of it was trying to figure out who I really was, you know, and figure out who I was with God as a person. And uh, I know I went through a couple things, but I know that it came back as one of the greatest gifts in the world, knowing that we can just be ourselves and whatever we want, but like what you say, with a clear head and a heart for God.
1: Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's I, I suddenly realized that the alcohol and the drugs were my identity.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. That it was my identity and that it wow. was something else. It was a chemical compound yeah. that was creating my identity. And God's like, like I remember, like, how am
0: I going to operate without alcohol?
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. How am I going to yep. operate without yep. drugs? Is, is my anxiety going to take over? Am I even going to talk to people? Am I just going to become this away?
0: That's so strong. I, I have to repeat that. I suddenly realized... It was a chemical compound creating my identity.
1: And then as I handed it over to Jesus, as I just let the Holy Spirit do it to me, I figured out that I was pretty much the same madman. I was just doing it with the clear head. Yeah, yeah. You know, that I was still able to play music, I was still able to have fun, and I was still able to do things. I just planned it better. Yeah. And, and it turned less messy. You know, and it was just me understanding. I think for me, is that the drugs and alcohol took away this level of anxiety because the way I grew up, there's always this performance-based thing. You have to be this way. You have yeah. to be that way. Yeah. And, and and it was all of these things that I knew I couldn't really ascertain. Yeah,
0: and we have that. That's That's in our blood, especially right. as performers. Right, that it's just like, okay, I can't be that good. I can't do this. I can't copy that.
1: Well, you know what? Maybe if I just numb the pain. Then it'll be okay.
0: Man, I call it the committee. Yeah. If you've listened to the podcast before, when you get those uh screaming voices in your head that uh tell you you're not good enough, you can't do this, you're going to fail. Um we call those voices the committee because yeah. usually they're barking nonsense yeah. that's not true trying to convince us of uh living in fear, you know, and yeah. And I know that uh, I was really quick. I remember I was telling somebody about my committee. She was brilliant. She looked at me and she went, "You call that your committee?" And I went, "Yeah." She goes, "You need to fire your committee." And I went, "That's brilliant." <laughs> yeah. But it's the same thing, you know. And oh, I yeah. I remember being terrified. My sponsor used to uh, my first sponsor used to tell me because I remember telling him it's like I was. I didn't know if I was going to be able to go out on dates. I didn't know of how I was going to act as a normal person, and I specifically remember telling him that I don't think I'll ever have the guts to get up and dance with a with anybody, you know. And every time I get my medallion every year, he would give it to me and and uh, say, "How's the dance?" Yeah, you know. It's because we put so much emphasis on the fear of becoming. Oh yeah sober and it's where the adventure
1: begins. Yeah, and I was I was actually very fortunate um that my first sponsor was actually a sponsor from my past. Wow. He was somebody that had grown up around and um during the music time and all of that and and other areas of my life I had gotten in with a really rough crowd. Like really rough crowd. Like the rough crowd that rough crowds stay away from. <laughs> and uh one of them was was kind of a father figure to me, and his nickname was Root. And it was actually short for the Root of All Evil. Wow. And I remember one time we were at this this bar down in Savage, Minnesota, and I remember him walking out of the restroom because he was one of the part owners of it, and he had a rig in the, in, still attached to each arm. And he spread his arms out, and he goes, Look, I'm Jesus Christ, oh. high off of his just out of his skull and then all of a sudden one day he disappeared and I was used to people coming and going in my life and so I just kind of wrote it off and then all of a sudden I'm sitting here in this recovery room and I hear this voice and I just can't place where I hear this voice from because it's just I remember it but the guy's name is Jim okay okay And I said, man, Jim looks familiar, and he's sharing his testimony. He's talking about seven years' sobriety, that he was celebrating his seventh year sobriety. And I was like, man, that's really cool. That's really awesome. You know, he reminds you of somebody from somewhere, but I can't remember who. And I honestly, after hearing that and hearing it, it was this NA program in Bloomington, I was like, I don't even know if I'll be able to do that. And I remember walking out the front door and all of a sudden I hear, Preacher! Hey, Preacher! And I turn around and the guy goes, I knew that was you. And I was like, Jim, right? And he goes, yeah. But you'd know me as rut. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, bro. It's been seven years. I haven't seen you in like seven years. And then all of a sudden it clicks in my head. Yeah, I just got my seven-year medallion. Wow. And... (laughs) <laughs> I remember just, like, looking at him and realizing... The reason I didn't recognize him is because he packed on weight. Right. Like, he was actually healthy-looking. He was, built like, muscular and all this stuff. And so that's cool, man. I just... <clears throat> thinking about trying to do this, but he... <clears throat> he looked at me, he goes, if I can do it, brother, you can. I was like, okay. I said, well, so we need sponsors, right? And He goes, yeah. I said, okay, um... We'd be my sponsor. And he goes, Yeah, but you need three sponsors. Hmm. And I was like, Three sponsors. Everybody else says one sponsor. He goes, Yeah, but you grew up around us. Huh. And I said, Okay. And so, why three? He goes, That way, if one dies and one falls off the wagon, you still got a solid one. Ow. And I was like, Wow. Okay. All right. Wow. And so, the most interesting part of that was is that I ended up with Root, uh, PTSD A10 Thunderbolt pilot. pilot, pilot and a uh, city planner as my three sponsors and all three of them continue to be i mean we've now just become like brothers that's crumb but they've 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 been my lifeline and the really cool part about that is sobriety is only is the only place you could take a hardcore biker an A-10 Thunderbolt pilot who is just now a retired United pilot and a city planner and put them together and they could help string one person together. Yeah. yeah. And they could help string like somebody together like me because they did and it was me. Like that's the thing. It's most people see me on stage and they see all of this stuff and they hear me talk and they go this, that, this, that. They don't see the things that I fought along the way. Yeah. They yep. don't see the wreck that I was. They don't see the times where I was laying on the ground just drunk out of my skull or high out of my skull or drunk, high and stoned all at the same time just being like, "God, there's got to be something different than this." Wow. You know, they see this this person who's had these chains of recovery programs. Like I will be the first one to tell you that any type of recovery is good recovery. Whether it's NA, whether it's AA, whether it's Celebrate Recovery, Faith Recovery and Music. This is all stuff that you can take and put in a toolbox and go, which wrench do I need today? Absolutely. Which one's going to fill that gap? Which one's going to fill that soul? And as you do these things, you start connecting to the people within there. And you realize that there's no
0: one single class. It's everybody. Yeah. We talk about reaching into our bag, reaching into our arsenal and pulling out what we need. And you know, there's, you can get it from anywhere and and we should. We need to. Yeah. We need to
1: because the one thing that I've started to realize in recovery is that everybody needs recovery. Like we all deal with things in different ways, but we all have these traumas that have turned into addictions of some sort. For mine, mine were easy to spot. They're alcohol and drugs. Yeah. But how many of us have turned to a TV screen? How many of us have turned to food or anything else that we can do in excess to obsess with because of the things that have happened in our lives? And the more that we realize that it's okay to say, hey, that really messed with me. It's okay to say that. It's not okay to continue to say it. Yeah. But it's okay to say it and then start to walk it out. And... The only way you can walk it out is with people who have gone before you. I mean, okay, I could be wrong. And if you are that one person out there who has just been like, I'm going to recover, stopped, and you are a perfectly healthy human being who is perfectly mentally sound and all of that, cool. I have to pray because I'm jealous, but I don't know anyone like that. Yeah. It's not me so I need to know that there are other people like me out there and it's okay to healthily discuss it and healthily move yeah. through it and healthily get beyond it in things like recovery faith recovery and music celebrate all of these things and I think so for so long we've attempted to put all of this in a box And we forget that we're created in the image of God. And if you can put God in a box, then we can be put in a box. But if you can't put God in a box, then we have to go outside of the box. We have to test the boundaries. We have to try all of these different things and find the path that works for us in an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father and the people around us who will help walk us out and be a safe spot for us, be family for us in such a way that we will... Where the wounds will be
0: healed that have taken their toll, that have turned into addictions. That's awesome. And you know, one of my favorite songs that you have written is called Beautifully Broken. And I think we should listen to it right now. You, like me, like Todd, like most of us who are on this journey, like most of us who are thinking about this journey, we're all Beautifully Broken. That's great, dude. You got some good stuff. That's This is helping me. I get so much out of this. <laughs> I can hear you go, yeah! <laughs> <All right.
2: laughs>
0: so that was a song written by Todd called Beautifully Broken, and I absolutely love that song. And I'm when I first met Todd, he was doing a praise and worship set and boy, I was able to hear a lot of his music, and one of the gifts that Papa Bear has is his ability to reach people with lyrics and music, and I think that's absolutely amazing. You know, uh, you know, some things work different for us in recovery, and me, uh, uh, music is a strong component, and uh, uh, it was almost like hearing his his testimony and his story within his song, so, um, and yeah. we'll we'll have more from Todd musically too today. So, well, let's get back to your story. Yeah. Well,
1: and actually, I'll I'll loop back around to beautifully broken. Um, that one's actually very near and dear to my heart because I was actually driving down the freeway, and I was trying to figure myself out. And I'm rewinding to right before I wrote the song, I remember listening to this Christian free air radio, and they were talking about like what happens when tragedy strikes. And this woman calls in, and I remember her saying that if Tears could build a stairway to heaven, I would be there by now. Wow. And it just hit me because I was I was saved. I was a pastor, but I was still trying to work through all of these things, and I felt so alone. And so I was sitting there one night, and I'm just alone, and I'm like, I am don't know what to do because I'm like, God, I should be happy. I should be, like, I'm saved, I'm set free, I'm sober, and I'm miserable. And I said, I'm just freaking broken. I didn't use freaking. And he said, that's okay. You're beautifully broken. (sighs) And then I started, he actually took me into an analogy where in Japan, if they break vases, and I forget what it's called. Oh, I love this. They take precious metal metals and fill the cracks and they make oh. it into something new where they take the precious metal and they fill in the cracks and it's this whole new art form and the whole theory behind it is is to see the beauty of something that was once broken but now restored and not only restored but restored to a greater glory yeah and so that's where beautifully broken came. Oh, that's, that's the whole meaning behind it, is picturing one of those jars, yeah, and and being smashed on the floor, but then being put together with platinum and gold and silver and just being
0: restored, but only but restored to a whole new beauty. I've told you this before. I love being beautifully broken. Yeah, I love it. I, I'm broken. Yeah, that's fine. But I'm beautifully broken. Yeah, and what you say makes so much sense. It's if we're broken, there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to eventually fill those cracks with that precious metal, right. and we have to uh, we have to become even if we're broken. I always I always use the term duct tape and grace. <laughs> you know, I'm held together by duct tape and grace. That's sort of uh, my beautifully broken, but it says it all, and it's okay. It's okay to be broken as long as we're working on it. Right. And we're not hiding from it. And we're not, you know, in the deep chasms of our own mind living in a world of fear. It's along the same lines of, you know, growing up for me, my my dysfunctional... We had different upbringings, though. We're so much alike, but we had completely different (laughs) upbringings. My upbringing was was bad it was dysfunctional it was you know and I always say when I talk about my upbringing um it was made tough because of my dad okay but I always say whenever I mention my dad because my dad was awesome and he passed away with 32 years clean and sober and like me he was just suffering from the disease of drugs and alcohol sure. so when I mentioned my dad, I always have to I have to qualify and say that there's a great happy ending for all of us yes. with that but when we were young it wasn't like that and oh, I, I get it well you know and a lot of people look at our upbringing and we can we can we can say this wasn't my fault this that this happened that we were as kids, we were put in situations that were either too young, or you know, too young, and and probably 95% of it they aren't our fault, but it is our responsibility.
1: Oh, absolutely. No part of um, part of my testimony was is that even though I grew up in that amazing household, on Christmas Eve when I was 11, my dad left our family, and so one of my memories of Christmas was standing in Southview 7th Adventist Church in South Minneapolis telling one of my best friend's dads that one of the three wise men was not going to be in the play because oh. he had just left his family as my mom cried in our celebrity station wagon. Yeah, And um, I remember I remember glaring at the manger and saying this is all your fault. We worshipped you. We prayed to your name. Right. We have been the perfect family. How dare you? I hate you. Yeah. And I couldn't understand that it was actually my father was in the throes of addiction, and had made some decisions where my mother had made an ultimatum to him. And he had chosen to ignore that ultimatum. And so that Christmas Eve, that was it. And so we went from this upper middle class you know up and coming socialite family to a welfare family overnight and as an 11 year old it's hard to comprehend especially when in your eyes you have a pretty cool dad and then all of a sudden he disappears and so that fueled a lot of my my using my views on life my views on god all of that stuff, even to the point where I got saved. I remember my ex was like, we're going to church now. And I, I was in my mid-30s. I said, nope, I haven't been to church. I stuck around until I was 13, and at that time, the Seventh Adventist church was very, very, very conservative. And one of the ushers told me, either cut your hair or don't come back. Hmm. And I looked him dead in the eye I said, deal. And I yeah. walked
0: out the front yeah, door.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And... Um, I'd kind of made this thing of like, God, you don't mess with me. I won't mess with you.
0: Did you can I ask you a question? Because we're, again, we're, we're, we're so similar. Have you ever not believed in God? Because I have, for some reason, even in, in my worst, I mean, face down, blackout, throwing up in, in a jail cell. I've never not believed in God. But... I thought he hated me for the longest time And actually thinking
1: about it As you're discussing this I don't think I never not believed in them it's, yeah. I, I would say I was atheist But if anything I was plotting against him I was like praying to every other god out there That I thought yeah. could like up-end Angry him at God him, Or yeah. like try and get him something in In fact right before I got saved I would have told you that Like I'm a general in the devil's army And yeah. I plan to burn heaven to the ground when it comes here
0: That's kind of like me
1: um, yep. and it wasn't really it was just this seething rage for a misunderstanding that I saw God as somebody who just sat out there and threw thunderbolts Yeah, yeah. or like an angry kid with an ant farm where yep. every now and then he'd just shake us pull out the magnifying glass and I didn't sit there and realize that there's a lot that like my surroundings and everything I was involved with had a hand in to formulate that vision right. in fact I think sometimes that was the space from trying to find faith you know, as we were just kind of talking outside of this, I was I was reminded of this time where I was in D.C., and we were playing some music, and this guy got saved. Like, you know, it's one of those, we're going to go out and we're going to save this many people. <laughs> you know, we're going to tag them off, we're going to check off the list, we're going to do all of this stuff. And I was walking down the mall after one of my musical sets, and I was just kind of thinking, and there's this guy, and he's just kind of standing alone, and I was like, hey... How you doing, man? He goes. I don't know how I'm doing. Mm. I was like, okay, all right. You know, we introduced ourselves. I was like, so why don't you know? And he goes, well, I just got saved. And I was like, awesome. And he's like, that's walking really down cool. The mall, well, and I can just tell how'd you, you get he's saved? Lost. Oh, these and people came. Like, okay, what's okay, going when they on? said a prayer with me, and I'm saved. And I said, okay, well, so what? He goes, no, you don't understand. And I was like, what do you mean I don't? What do you? What, what do you? Just explain it. He goes, you don't understand, man. He goes, I've been through hellfire. Like, I literally just came out of hellfire. And, and I don't feel saved. I don't feel mm-hmm. like I, I'm okay. I don't feel all of this. And and I actually, at that point, I just kind of pulled up my sleeves. And if you've never met me, um, I have a few tattoos. Yep. And so when I and when you when I pull up my sleeves, you realize that my tattoos tell some tell testimony, and um,
0: it just usually instigates a conversation. But you know what's cool about that? I gotta say this. So, like you pulling your sleeves up, you see all the tattoos as you pull your sleeves up to do some hard work. Yeah. I love it. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> I never it. thought of it that oh, way. Oh man! I agree. I mean, why do you, why yeah. do you pull
1: your sleeves up? Because you're getting ready yeah. to do some hard work. You know, and I just started um, talking to him about having testimony about having peace about having you know all of that stuff and from me coming from hellfire yeah. and in fact that's um that's how I wrote uh the song Enter In Ooh let's go
0: ahead and play that enter in what a great song so todd what were you thinking when you wrote this one
1: you know i so often we put these parameters Mm -hmm. on how to enter in to god's grace how to enter in to god's mercy and i don't know if we can actually say exactly how it looks for anyone Hmm. because it's really just this intimate understanding that there is a god in the universe who just wants you to know them because they already know you. And so it's not this, does, does the Roman's road work? Sure. Does saying a special prayer work? Sure. But I, I would dare argue that there's only one person that Jesus said was going to heaven. And it was a guy who didn't have an opportunity to do any of those. Yeah. He was a man on a cross sitting next to him yeah. who just had the desperation to scream out, Remember me. He didn't. There was no "I," you know. Jesus didn't sit there and go, "Okay, repeat after me." I state your name. Jesus didn't go, "Okay, let's get down off of here. Let's go over to Galilee. Let's go to see a Galilee. We'll dunk yonder." Jesus didn't say, "Hey, we got to walk you through the Romans Road. You're gonna get saved." I and I have nothing against all of that sure. stuff. But you're talking about a man who is condemned to death for his crimes, who is dying next to the Savior of the world, and just screams out, remember me. And I would dare say that in that moment, when he said, remember me, it was his understanding that this would not be the end of Jesus. That it was his understanding that there would be something beyond there, so that whenever he got there, that he would be able to remember him. remember him. And it was that simple understanding of you're not done here, to which Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And there are a lot of ways you can argue this, but I just have to say that the God of the universe who came down here in human form, when he says something simple, oftentimes we overcomplicate it. And that's what enter in is. It's, it's not a, you're gonna say the prayer down the Romans road, you're gonna do this, it's enter in. Just find a way to get to him and do it. And come as you are. And come as you are. That that as you walk towards him and you understand that he is the creator of all things, the maker of the heavens and the earth, and that he sits at the right hand of God. Yeah. And that him and God and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are all here to help us through that. That we just have to enter in. We just have to walk in there and go, okay, how do we do this? That we don't have to have a plan. We don't have to have a plot. We just have to say, God, I want to understand you more. Jesus, I want to understand you more. Holy Spirit, come. Let me see you. Let me feel you. Let me understand you more. And all too often, I think there's this premise that okay, you got to get sober, then after so much sobriety, then you can start praying, then after so much praying, then you can start <laughs> yeah. thinking about becoming to Jesus, and then after that, and we forget that Jesus just walked up to people and said, "Follow me," and it wasn't like some written out thing. It wasn't some scripted thing. He didn't hand them, he he didn't hand them a little pamphlet and be like, "Okay, read through this, and if you wish, <laughs> then follow me." Right, left, right, left, one, two, three. He just walked up to people and said, follow me. And they're in all different walks of life and they're in all different flavors and none of them did it the same way. So why should we think that we have to all follow this pattern? Or can we just all go, Jesus,
0: I wanna know you more. Yeah, I, uh, you're making me think of uh, last week we got to hear Pastor Rod in Rochester. Yes. When he was talking about the disciples following Jesus, and it was so cool that I loved his message, and what's really cool is that you were there too. Yes. So I can say how cool that was when even the disciples they they didn't have their act together. It's no. not like you know they're he was talking about how uh, I like how he said hey, we're talking about the elite picked by Jesus, you know, and it's like and these guys are freaking out in a storm, right? You know, where they're bailing. He's, he took the he took the ice cream buckets and he's like bailing out yeah. the water, and it's like. You know, it's normal people following Christ, right. and it's not like they had to climb 16 mountains and go through an aerobics course. And
1: right. It wasn't like Jesus said, follow me. So they went right to their pastoral degree. Then once they received their pastoral degree, then they went for their for their master's degree. Yeah. And then so once they got their master's degree, then they went for their doctorate in theology. And then 10 years later, they followed him. Yep. You know, it was, follow me. Follow me. And they set their stuff down and went, okay. I mean, that's the beauty of it. You're dealing with men. I mean, look at Peter. Like when Jesus says, Simon, you are now Peter. Like Simon means a reed that bends to Peter. And then he says, you are now the rock. But then think about when he says it. Like Peter hasn't lopped off a dude's ear yet. Yeah. Peter hasn't denied Christ. Peter hasn't, like, watched, yet, yeah. watched the crucifixion and been like, I'm done. I'm going fishing. Yeah. And wow. Jesus looks at him before any of that, before any of the doubt, before any of the betrayal, before any of that, and he goes, Your name is now Peter. You are the rock for which my church will be built on. Knowing that he's gonna fit like like that he's gonna walk on water that he but he's gonna sink knowing that he's gonna lop off a dude's ear knowing that he's he tells him you will deny me three times (laughs) and knowing that once Jesus dies he's gonna be like I'm done I'm going fishing and yet he still goes you are the rock on which my church will be built and I mean so many times we totally dodge all that like I, I actually wonder if like Peter was sitting there like if that was part of the discouragement Hmm. Like that was part of him giving up. He's like, but he said, "I'm like his con- his personal condemnation." I think that's why he jumped out of the boat because he's sitting there fishing, going, "He called me the rock, and here I am out fishing. Here I am on." Hey, that guy just told us, "We're." Oh my gosh, it has to be Jesus. I have to tell him. I have to tell him I'm sorry, and he launches himself off the boat. Yeah, a- and Jesus is sitting there cooking him breakfast. Like he doesn't even say, like, dude, yeah. Um, I actually heard you. Like, <laughs> yeah. you were close enough so I could hear you when you yeah. denied me. How you feel about that? Because I mean, that's that's a reality. Is is in that courtyard? He could. Jesus could probably hear him because he probably didn't have to be like, he probably wasn't like, I'm not
0: the guy. Yeah.
1: He probably yeah. stood there and screamed at the top of the lungs. That's not me. That's not me. I don't know these guys. This is not me. It, it wasn't. I, I can. I, I see it in my head that it wasn't something like, no, I'm sorry. You have the wrong person. He's in a panic. He's like, not me. Not me. Had nothing to do with this. And the reality is that he's sitting in that courtyard, so there's a very real possibility that Jesus could hear him deny him. And here he is on the beach yeah. cooking them breakfast. Oh, wow. And he doesn't go like, hey, Peter, if you love me, don't ever deny me again. Yeah. If you love me, don't ever lop off another dude's ear. He just says, if you love me, feed my sheep. You know, it's, it's just... And I think we've so overcomplicated in such a way that it's become a discouragement and it's it's mm. also become too difficult. And if we just go to him and be like, Jesus, I want to know you more, really for him, that's good enough. And I'm not saying that it's like you're this perfectly saved thing, but it opens All that right. doorway to start a journey where you can understand that the maker of
0: the universe loves you. Christ knows we are not perfect, right? He doesn't want our perfection, and you know what? Your recovery doesn't want your perfection either. No, you know that's why we hear so many, you know, speaking of overcomplicating. That's why we hear the the phrase "keep it simple," right? You know, and I uh, I just read something the other day that I really liked. I actually put it on the Faith Recovery Music Facebook page, and it said. When my life starts getting overcomplicated, and I start feeling overwhelmed, usually I'm not putting God first, right? You know, and uh, you know God doesn't want you to make your life overcomplicated. Um, and like what you're saying uh, about Peter, there's there's no test. There's there's no, you know. Well, you want to follow me? We'll fill this out.
1: Well. And that's the cool thing about the recovery. Story, yeah, is that you're standing in the midst of other fishermen. You know, if it looks like fish and it smells like fish and it tastes like fish, it's fish. Probably fish. And, and so you can, when you're in a positive like recovery group, like people can be like, "So how are you feeling today? I'm doing fine. Okay. You sure? Yeah, I'm fine. Fine." okay well man if you need if you need anything just talk yeah okay well i actually have this going on here it comes and being in a situation where you can be in a nurturing environment where you can be helped you can be healed and you can look at it's like you and me sitting here talking we find out that we have more and more commonalities that we never even thought of just simply because we're being willing to in a safe environment to disclose our personal stuff, and now all of a sudden,
0: oh man, I'm really not alone. Don't you love it when that barrier gets chipped away a little bit? um, Because over the years with with sponsees, and as a sponsee, I've done the same thing. You know, what's the matter? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Are you sure? No, man. And all of a sudden, someone will ask once more, are you sure? Well, and then all of a sudden, right. it just comes out, and all of a sudden you're you're sharing, and you're working with the other person, and now now you've got two people involved. Somebody who maybe have taken the, that path before that can lend some sort of uh, um, uh, suggestions as to maybe how they handled that situation, or maybe they know somebody who does, or now. You know, you get just the act of getting it out. Right. You know, sometimes things, when they sit and fester in our own head, we've talked about this. Oh yeah. They just, they just sit and hide in the corner, and they get stronger and bigger and meaner. And uh, you know, a good defense is simply getting it out. I'm not saying that's the answer to a lot of things, but sometimes it takes a lot of the power. Away from something like that, when we just get it out and talk to somebody about it, or get on our knees right. and talk to God.
1: Well, and one of my favorite analogies was from one of my sponsors uh, was was a mouse with a microphone in the dark, or actually, I'm sorry, I, I, oh. a mouse with a megaphone. So it's like it's like this thing where you have it and it builds itself up. This in teeny your head thing, where it's just, and then you. Put the light on it, it's just like this tiny little mouse in the corner that just has a great amplifier system, so it sounds like this giant, horrible thing. I've never heard that a mouse with a megaphone, yeah. And so, wow. it's one of those things that when you bring it to light, everybody's like, Oh, yeah, do you see that mouse over there? Like, Oh my gosh, that is just a mouse, and it scurries off because. It's like when we're talking about the stuff You shine the light on it. Yeah. Yeek. It's just shining the light on it and finding a similarity to a point where you can be like, Oh, wow, I really built that up to worse than I thought it was gonna be. How does it feel?
2: Pretty good. I feel pretty good right now, yeah. you know.
1: The megaphone's gone and the mouse is right. gone. Wow. And and it's just this, these coping skills that you find in recovery to just to make a lot of that happen, yeah, in a good way, where we can just walk into these new things.
0: I, I have just, I have enjoyed this a lot, just listening to, you know, parts of your story and your your faith. I, I mean, uh, I'm so blessed. I get to do this. I get to learn so much and listen. And I got to tell you, I love Mouse with a megaphone. Yeah. And you know, what's really cool about that. I bet a billion people out there just went yeah (laughs) that's all it is it's a it's a mouse with a megaphone yeah you know so I I enjoy what you do so much and I'm I'm so excited about um some of the things that we'll be doing um to glorify God's name and to reach out for uh to reach out to people in recovery you know I really think this is God's calling on my life, and I really feel like you're the same way. I think this is God's calling for your life, and you have such a story. Well, and I think this is
1: all a culmination of things. So I would love to, and if I'm overstepping my bounds, fine. Um, but I would love to consider that this is probably just one of a bunch of future podcasts where we get to talk about our hopes and dreams.
2: yeah, absolutely on faith and recovery in music
1: Yes, about sir, where God is calling us because this is what it's about. It's about connecting. it's about stripping away the veils so that we don't put each other on these pedestals that we can fall from. that we just get to see that each one of us, has these moments where we're absolutely perfectly human. Why? Because Jesus was perfectly human. Yeah. Until he was transfigured, he was perfectly human. And we are perfectly human. Now understand that I didn't say we are perfect humans. Nope. I said we are perfectly human, which means yep. we are beautifully broken. Beautifully God broken. can change us into anything if
0: we let him. So when we were when when you were talking and when we started, you were kind of um, talking about how you had found God and you were you were clean, but you weren't fulfilled. You weren't feeling you weren't feeling very happy, you know. So uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to ask the tough question: How are you feeling now? Pretty awesome. So what changed that? Honestly,
1: working the program mm-hmm. that I knew. Over and over and over, and then taking the time to look for the fruit in it. Mm. Love that. It was literally I was. Oh, I, I just, just, just got to chill. <laughs> I remember the moment where I was actually kind of, kind of down in my sobriety, and I was like, "Is this really worth it?" And then I walked into Teen Challenge Leadership Institute and began to play some of my songs. Mm. And I watched as my wife prophesied over these people at at the institute and watched as I sat there and sang my testimony songs and these people would weep and, and associate with themselves. And I started to realize that I was still in a perspective that I was mm-hmm. only a couple steps into my sobriety that I was so concerned with being sober that I had been missing all of the things that had been coming from my years and years of sobriety. And I literally stood in that room telling my testimony. And I had to say that tonight, I suddenly realized that all of the promises that I thought were crap had come true. Yeah. And that all of it, like, as a simple testimony, my stepfather is a good Christian man. When he married my mother, I was not a good Christian man. The only time we shook hands was at my mother's wedding because we had to. The rest of the time it would be, hey, Phil, hey, Todd. And that would be the entire conversation to the point where he actually one point told me that if I was going to bring this stuff onto their property, talking about the spiritual dynamic that I brought with me, I was no longer welcome on their property. Wow. Fast Um. forward, and we're in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner, and my stepsister decides to let in on me when I was, and this is just really, I brought a stripper to my brother's engagement party because that's where my life was, Mm -hmm. where she was drinking a bottle out of the bag, and I was already in the (laughs) bag by the time we got to the engagement party. And my sister decides to bring this up at Thanksgiving dinner because my family can put the fun in dysfunction. And my stepfather puts his hand down on the table and said, that's enough. He has worked hard. He has changed. Sometimes you just have to let go of the past. I still... That's what my sobriety has done for me, wow. that a relationship that I didn't, even, I didn't even think was possible is not only restored, but he is one of the father figures that I am honored to have in my life. Wow. Where we have amazing theological just conversations. We have a friendship. Were you floored when he said that? I, I didn't know what to do. I wow. literally sat at the table and I sat there and like ate my food and then I went downstairs and ugly cried. Because wow. it was not something I had ever expected. I didn't expect that 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 it would have these these things. I didn't expect that I would be I would be re- reconciled with so many people. I didn't expect yeah. for people to be like, "Good job!" Like I I just thought it was okay that I wasn't like passed out in a laundry basket for a week and a yeah, half. You right, know, right, right. And to have these people not only like. Like, being, like, good job, but championing me. Especially people who, like... I mean, if you had met Phil before, like, me and Phil before, you would have been like, you guys hate each other. I'd be like, no, I just don't know how to deal with him, and I know that he doesn't know how to deal with me. And now, like, it's... He's a father figure. He's in your corner.
0: Yeah, he's 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 Even when you guys didn't even know how to deal with each other, he was probably in your corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was. I just... He couldn't deal with that lifestyle. And he couldn't deal
1: with what my mom was seeing and how what my mom had to deal with. He loves. He loves her. He's an amazing
0: husband. He's a good. He's, he's an amazing father figure and grandpa. That makes me. Uh, that makes me real happy because, you know, every, every time I, every time I see you and every time we talk, you're up, you know, and you're you're positive, you know, you're inspiring. Um I love your music. I love getting the opportunity to play music with you. I love your story. I love your passion for Christ and your passion for life and I'm sorry I'm throwing you under the bus here and your passion for helping others. You have it and I think it's great and I'm you know I'm I'm not trying to blow smoke or anything <laughs> but man I love everything you do and I think it's great and I think you are an inspiration to a lot of people. Thank you. You know, and that's all glory to God. Yeah. You know, and, and
1: it's it's also it's it's people being open to loving like Jesus. And me being able to experience that love and that understanding and that forgiveness. And that peace and that hope in such a way that it is so healing to me that I just, like, for me, I, it feels so good I want everybody else to experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, all of the good stuff, that's because somebody else has done something good for me. Yeah. Yep, me too. You know, and an understanding that what I do, it may not seem like a big thing at the time, but in heaven it is. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll leave you guys with this one story because I think there's a lot of people out there, like myself, that sometimes have like, what difference did I make? What did I do? Did anything change anything? Right. And when I, by the time I was 13 years old, moving into 14, I became homeless on my own in the streets of Minneapolis as Minneapolis was becoming Murderapolis.
0: Well, I remember when we were uh, downtown, or not downtown, but in South Minneapolis. Uh, helping with cleanup around Lake Street, yeah. You you literally pointed out one of the bridges, the thirty five W bridge. You literally pointed out and said, "There's my old house," yeah. And you showed me a couple places. Yeah, so didn't mean to turn around. Oh no no but no. It's, it's but it's true.
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, and one of the things when you're experiencing homelessness, nobody, you, you feel like nobody sees you. And um. I was in the darkest spot of that. I was in addiction. I was living in a homeless shelter called the 410. And, and honestly, I was just a kid who just wanted to go to school, but because of the situation and because of where I was, that just wasn't even an option. And as I'm sitting there one day, I'm watching these school buses go by, and it's also the same day that I thought I was just, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm just going to kill myself. Nobody sees me. Nobody mm. cares. I, I'm just invisible. I'm actually going to jump from my window. And die. And the crazy part about that is is the 410 was on the corner of 4th and 10th Street where the Garden of Gethsemane Community Garden is. And if you go to that area in the parking lot, you'll see this large square concrete slab. That large square concrete slab was actually the back door to the 410 which was six stories below my window. Wow. And so the only piece of existence was my target for that day. And as i was watching the buses go by i can't tell you which bus it was i can't tell you what was written on the side of the bus but i can tell you that there was a beautiful little black girl with braces on her teeth two braids in her hair and a yellow v-neck t-shirt and she looked me dead in the eye and she smiled and she waved people talk about all of the amazing things that i do people talk about all of the influence that i have but right now, there is a, a woman who is about my age who may be questioning God and what did I do? Was my life even worth it? Was there anything that even made my life matter? And God's saying to her, baby girl, you changed the world. All of the thousands of people that I've been able to help, all of the people who've heard my music, all of the people who've heard my testimony. All of the people that I have been able to help in, in homeless outreach and all of that stuff, I wouldn't have been here if it were, weren't for people like her and so many others along the way. You know, you read these testimonies and you see these people and all of us doing all of these things, but we tend to forget that there are these people along the way that were just in the right place at the right time to love us like Jesus did. Yeah and like Jesus does. And so whether you're listening to me on this or just waving to some homeless kid, understand that God will work through you if you let him. And that if you're just staring at some homeless kid and you smile and wave at him, you have the ability to change the world. If you reflect God's light in whatever case you're in, you have the ability to reflect the light of love Mm and the light of God. And when you're sober, there's a lot more possibilities and availabilities, man.
0: You- oh, so awesome! Wow. I uh, I usually ask people what they would tell somebody who's contemplating recovery as you know a way of life, but I think you just said it. I just I think you just said it. Would uh, could I ask you to take us out in prayer? Sure. Hmm. Father in heaven, we just
1: thank you for all of these chances, for our ability to just draw near to you, for our ability to understand that the ultimate sacrifice is already been paid, so we can sit in front of you beautifully broken, and to you we are the most beautiful thing that has ever existed, for we are made in your image. Lord, for whatever stage of life anyone is in, just bless them. In Jesus' name, we just declare that there will be signs and wonders around them. And just the simplest stuff, the right phone call, the right moment, just something. So each and every one who is listening to this understands and knows that there is a creator of the universe, a maker of heaven and earth that knows them, that loves them, and calls them their sweet child. Mm. just guide us protect us watch over us in all that we do and Jesus let us understand that you love us that you love us more than anything in the world and teach us how to love you we thank you and just We love you so much. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Papa Bear. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome anytime. Um, I think this is going to be something fun where I get to stop by every now and then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And, uh, oh, just what, what a great episode. And remember, gang, together... We're better. And with God, we are unstoppable. We'll see you next month.
3: Episode 6, Beautifully Broken. Today's featured music was Beautifully Broken, written by Todd Finney and performed by Todd Finney and Adam Humberg. Enter in, also written by Todd Finney and also performed by Todd Finney and Adam Humberg. Today's episode was produced by Timothy Price. If you're interested in being a guest on the Faith Recovery and Music podcast, please go to our website at www.faithrecoverymusic.com and go to the contact page. We'd love to have you. We'd love to hear about your recovery. Even though we may occasionally have a doctor, a licensed counselor, or therapist as a guest on the podcast, today's episode did not feature such. We are not doctors, nor do we claim to be in quitting any kind of substance, you may need to seek medical attention or assistance as you detox. If you are in any way, shape, or form at a total loss and you feel you have no one to reach out to and you're concerned you may possibly hurt yourself, please, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Please check out Faith Recovery and Music on Facebook and be sure to visit our YouTube channel too.
2: This episode originally aired February 5th, 2021.